Today in Science from Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e-commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy-to-use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60-day trial at ShipStation.com slash technews. That's ShipStation.com slash technews. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Today in Science from Wired. Why Kids Matter in the Quest to Stamp Out COVID-19 Testing a vaccine on children takes longer and comes with more challenges, but inoculating kids can protect an entire population. By Gregory Barber Last December, when Caleb Chung, a 12-year-old in Durham, North Carolina, first heard from his dad that he might be eligible for a local clinical trial of COVID-19 vaccine, his reaction was a little muted. He was quote-unquote, interested, he tells me over Zoom, not excited exactly, not jumping for joy at the thought of joining the rarefied ranks of the immune, interested. For one thing, he had heard about side effects while he was watching the news with his parents. But mostly, he just wasn't sure what to make of the idea. So Caleb and his dad, who's a pediatrician that works with adolescents, just started talking. They covered the science of creating vaccines and testing them and how trials had helped bring vaccines to vulnerable people in the past. Plus, Caleb just missed seeing his friends indoors, and 7th grade Zoom school was slow. Getting shots to more people would bring a quicker end to this tedium, so he signed up. In late December, he got his first shot of what was either the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine or a placebo. Then, three weeks later, he received his second. And both times, he kept a daily log of how he was feeling. He recorded a slight fever and some soreness in his arm on day two. But he took it in stride. He says, I hope this means I got the vaccine. At the moment, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration has greenlit two COVID-19 vaccines for emergency use, but both are only available to people older than Caleb. The Moderna vaccine is authorized for people over 18, and Pfizer's allows for people as young as 16 because they had people that age early in their trials. But that could be changing. See, last week, Pfizer officials announced they had finished enrolling more than 2,200 people in an expanded vaccine trial that includes kids as young as 12, and Moderna is currently in the process of signing up teens. That likely sets the stage for the companies to include teens in their requests for FDA approval, which is expected later this spring. In the difficult calculus of prioritizing who should receive scarce vaccines and when, children occupy this strange kind of niche. 
The rate of deaths and hospitalizations is much lower for children than it is for other age groups, and there's some, albeit sometimes conflicting, evidence that they may spread the virus at lower rates than adults. For a doctor faced with a decision between vaccinating an 80-year-old and a 15-year-old, the older person with the higher risk of severe illness would be the obvious choice, right? That's according to Grace Lee. She's a professor of pediatrics at Stanford's School of Medicine and a member of the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. But she adds that there are plenty of reasons why younger people should get the shots. For one, every 15-year-old is different. Kids with pre-existing conditions are prone to worse outcomes from COVID-19, just like adults. And a lot of teens, they work outside their home in fields like food service, which is an industry that has among the highest rates of infection. More than three quarters of child deaths have been among Hispanic, Black and American Indian children. And other effects of the disease, like MISC or MISC, which is the immune ailment that sometimes follows in the wake of COVID-19 infection in kids, have similar disparities. And Grace says we are understandably focused on deaths and hospitalizations, but we haven't yet thought about the long-term effects. Without the option to vaccinate kids, a return to normal life, one that will inevitably involve less protective distancing and mask wearing than we have now, would lead to the virus exacting a quiet but steady toll on children. And in October, the National Academy of Medicine recommended giving children the same vaccination priority as some essential workers based on a rubric that included equity. And then we have the role of people under 18, who make up about a quarter of the U.S. population, their role in getting the nation to herd immunity. Just how many vaccinations are required to stop the free circulation of the virus will depend on just how well the shots reduce transmission as well as illness. But getting 70% of the population vaccinated is a good rule of thumb. And Sharuti says, if we are going to achieve the levels of community immunity that we need, excluding children is going to make that really, really challenging. And's the director of Emory University's Center for Childhood Infections and Vaccines. A lot of existing vaccine campaigns follow that basic principle. Vaccinating against new influenza strains every year tends to result in patchy coverage among middle-aged adults because many of them, they're loath to show up at a doctor's office or a pharmacy. But almost two-thirds of children get vaccinated every year, and that protects young and old alike. And it's also part of the thinking behind the pneumococcal vaccine, where giving kids the shot was found to be better at suppressing the spread of the bacteria among the elderly who are at the greatest risk from it than targeting those older people directly. Then we have the rubella virus, and the chief benefit here for vaccinating kids against it is to reduce the spread to pregnant women and their babies because they can have some pretty severe complications. So for maximum immune coverage, the younger the better, right? And that's because little kids routinely go to the doctor for checkups and boosters. Sally Permar is the chair of pediatrics at Weill Cornell Medicine, and she says you need to go to a population where you know the two-dose strategy is not a big deal. She points to the hepatitis B vaccine. It requires three doses to reach maximal effectiveness. And even 12-year-olds can be kind of a challenge to get back to the doctor's office multiple times in a row, so doctors just aim to vaccinate kids who are younger. This summer, Sally was one of the experts raising the alarm at the limited planning for pediatric trials of a COVID-19 vaccine. Now, she's encouraged by the progress pharmaceutical companies have made since then and the possibility of more vaccines catching up. But even with the current timeline, 
It's kind of difficult to imagine achieving what Sally had originally hoped for, which was vaccinating kids at scale by the fall. She says, I think we're going to have to imagine schools this fall without kids being vaccinated. But she adds it's important to think long term. Vaccinations should hopefully quell the raging pandemic soon, but SARS-CoV-2 is probably here to stay with us after that. After all, antibodies from the current round of shots might wane, probably at different rates in different groups of people. And two, it also depends on which of the vaccines people initially get. New variants have already prompted some vaccine makers to announce plans for retooling their shots. But after the first round, people might be less motivated to get a boost, just like with annual flu shots. So that's when kids would play a role in keeping up immunity overall, because that would help prevent outbreaks among other more vulnerable populations. See, vaccines typically make their way into younger populations through a process called de-escalation. And teenagers are the first rung on this ladder. Their immune systems are fairly mature, so that means the data about effectiveness and safety that's gathered from testing in adults translates to them pretty smoothly. The primary aim of this phase of testing is to do a deeper dive into safety. Doctors like Grace Lee are optimistic, based on the data from adult tests. But drug companies need to be on careful watch for outliers, like new or abundant side effects or more allergies and other immune ailments. And then after that comes the testing for children younger than 12. During the trial process, they're often given lower initial doses, and that's followed by another group that includes toddlers and infants. When you get into those later stages, the process often slows down. And I get it. Convincing parents to enroll young children can be an arduous process. And scheduling their shots between other immunizations, that's a challenge. There's also the possibility that the immune response might behave differently in young bodies, especially with different dose amounts. And for infants, another complication is immunity potentially passed down from their mother. That protection helps keep the infant safe from infection, but can prevent them from developing their own immune response if they get a shot too early. Researchers, including Sally Permar, hope to study vaccinated women and their infants to help determine how soon that maternal immunity might wane. Moderna's CEO Stefan Bonsell told CNBC earlier this month that he expected trials for the under-12 group to take much longer than the ones for adolescent groups, and he doesn't expect results until 2022, partly because of the dosing question. At a CDC meeting Wednesday, Emily Erbelding, who's the director of the Division of Microbiology and Infectious Diseases at the National Institutes of Health, she noted that all four of the leading vaccine candidates, including the ones made by AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson, they all have imminent plans to include teenagers in their trials, but none have a firm timeline yet for testing the younger kiddos. So, in the meantime, the focus is more on the uptake of those who will be vaccine-eligible. In the last few weeks, Anne Sharudi had been giving doses to elderly people at Emory who are grateful to get it, but she knows it's a self-selecting crowd, so she's trying to think ahead. In her own clinic, she's made it a habit to ask her adolescent patients and their parents about the vaccine, knowing that it'll be the teen's turn eventually. And she's noticed some worrying patterns. She says, I've encountered a lot of hesitancy. I don't know that I've encountered one person who says they're excited to get it. And as she probes into the reasons why, she often uncovers misinformation that they've discovered online. 
people are believing they can catch COVID from the vaccine, which you can't, or they think corners were cut during development, and they weren't. But they also often wonder if vaccination will be more or less risky given their own medical history. She can tell her young patients that their vaccination will benefit everyone, and she does. But first, she wants to address their personal concerns, to share the science and data. Vaccine hesitancy, Anne adds, isn't really just a euphemism for those opposed to vaccines. It's a sign of somebody who could benefit from learning a little more. It's a matter of individually taking the time and having a conversation with each person, she says. It'll be a long process. A lot of work for doctors like her. But Sharuti hopes that when their time comes, it'll mean people young and old will choose to protect themselves and others. Like what you learned? Subscribe everywhere you listen to podcasts and get more science news at wired.com science. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.